Thanks for joining us for another message from Southland Church. If you'd like any information about our church, check out our website at mysouthland.com. All right. Uh, quick recap of last week, and uh, then, we'll, then we'll carry on forward. So last week we talked about the threefold strategy, and that was prayer. We're going to keep um, hitting that one in everything. It's coming up in key points again today, uh, only because, I mean... Jesus modeled prayer, we're commanded to pray, and prayer is absolutely, it needs to be at the foundation of everything we do. But we talked about prayer uh, being at the foundation of, of what God is doing in our church. It has to remain there, and we have to grow on that foundation. The second one was the church family, and it was that inside, gathered church and scattered church. We talked about no one stands alone, and each one uh, reach one. That's outside the church. So gathered, no one stands alone, that's a goal. I want you guys praying for that and working together that we're actually looking to take care of each other, and that starts in here. Let's take care of each other, take care of each other's needs. It, doesn't, it can't land on one person or a group of people. It has to be everyone together that says, this is our family, and we're going to work for and care for and serve one another. Amen? That's no one stands alone. So we'll keep talking about that as we go on, and then each one reach one. And then uh, lastly, we talked about the strategy of Scripture and building on a foundation of truth and letting the Scripture interpret scripture, but letting scripture form the foundation of a worldview and all that kind of stuff. And we're going to talk more about that today. Um, so today we're going to move on. Actually, before we do anything, no one stands alone. I know Jaira had you shaking hands already, but I'm going to get you to turn to someone next to you and tell them what is your favorite, it could be movie, book, TV show, whatever it is, story. What's your favorite story? Some of you are, are, have a hard time with favorites because you have five favorites. So just turn and say one of your favorite stories. What's your favorite story? All right, well, mine, if we're going to go extra biblical, I know some of you are just like the Bible, Jesus. Yeah, can't go wrong there, and you just, you just uh, won the best story award. Um, but if I'm going outside the Bible, I'd probably say longtime favorites of mine. It'd be really hard, you know, to pull it out, but I mean, you have the Lord of the Rings trilogy. All right, I mean... Yeah, <laughs> we're getting some thumbs up and woohoo. Yeah, Star Wars. I mean, you can't go wrong there either, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. And then the whole Marvel Cinematic Universe, that first series that they did, the 22 movies, good night. That was like sparking things from my childhood. I was a comic collector and talk about more, that, more about that in a minute. But anyways, today we're going to talk about the prologue. So this is really technically part one. Uh, last week we were just kind of talking about where we sense God leading us in this next season on how we're going to continue moving from a cruise ship to a battleship. Um, this week though is part one of the series we talked about starting last week and that was the grand story. And to begin a story we're going to look at the prologue. And the prologue essentially is just going to cover why the grand story matters. Of all the stories out there that you can read, the movies you can watch, the shows you can binge, why does this one matter? And why does it matter that you know the whole thing? And what does it mean, know the whole thing, too? Like, does it mean, like, memorize the whole thing? So why the grand story matters? Well, we're made for stories. They shape us, they move us, they stir us. I mean, think about 
that, I mean, you were just sharing some of your favorite stories, and whether it's a book or a TV show or whether it's a movie, it doesn't really matter. But you love hearing stories. I mean, when my kids were little, they always wanted to hear stories of when we were younger, right? They want to hear about our lives, and it kind of, they see how they fit in with our lives. But then you look at other stories. You watch a movie, and, and we seem to be drawn towards these epic dramas, right? Where there's good and evil, and, you know, every now and then, a movie or a book leaves you with a bad ending, and you just, like, you feel ripped off, like, actually ripped off, Amen? I don't know why anyone ever thinks it's a good idea to produce something with a bad ending for a twist. Yeah, you surprised me in a bad way. <laughs> now I don't want to watch or read anything that you produce ever again, right? I like, you know what I love about this story? We win in the end. I love winning. I don't know about you. I guess that sounds carnal. Well, it is. But, uh, but I love it that we're on the winning side. Like, we get to meet with Jesus face to face. I'm going to get ahead of myself. But we get to meet the hero of our story. Not everyone gets to do that. But, uh, you know, I, I alluded to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. 22 movies. Some of them were added after the last one. But 22 movies. And, uh, like, when I was a kid, collecting comic cards and comic books, I know, I was a bit of a geek. That's fine. But uh, I remember dreaming with my friends. We would be like, can you imagine if they ever had, like, the technology to make these into movies? Like, I'm from that age where they didn't have the technology where, you know, like, guys would dress up in tights and actually have to do all the action on their own. Yeah, that's where I was. I was a little kid then. Anyways, I dreamed of that day. And when it came out, as I was uh, older in my teens and early 20s, and all of these movies came out, they were so invigorating, they captured my heart. They captured that childhood wonder. But these stories, like, it's large. You get 22 movies, and what do they do? They, you get these origin stories, and they build, you know, who is this character, and how do they fit in, and how do they come to be? And then you get these Easter eggs um, th that are, like, weaving all of the stories together. So you get their origins, and then you see these little threads that begin, these strands that tie them all together. And then this thing, it moves towards this epic battle of good and evil. This, this character, Thanos, which is, like, the, you know, the, 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 the impersonification of evil itself, whose intent is to kill half of everyone in the universe and known galaxies. And it culminates at the end, I hope, spoiler alert, if you haven't watched it already, you probably won't. You're, you're like, over my head, I don't care. Anyways, at the end, you know, second last movie, he snaps his fingers and kills everybody, and you think, oh, we lost. And just when night was the darkest, right? They always say night is darkest right before the dawn. And then you get the last final movie and they reverse the curse and people are restored. And you get kind of a restoration of all things. And, you know, it's funny when you, when you watch movies like this and don't judge me for watching them. You can judge me for a lot more of other things like my love for cats. Anyways, <laughs> these movies, when I look at like God's word and God's grand story, it's amazing how, you know, Hollywood capitalizes. It's as though we're wired for stories like this. We're wired for an epic drama. It's like we need it to function. I mean, these, these big storylines that we fit in and we kind of, we, we, we relate to the characters and we imagine ourselves, you know, as being a part of the story and how we would respond. And they move us and we get angry at the appropriate times, hopefully, and we get excited and we, and we cry. We cry when these actors of these fake movies pass away and you're, you're broken inside. You don't even know why. It's like we're totally engaged. We are creatures made for stories. And, you know, this story here is probably the most epic story ever. We love the big grand story. At least I do. 
But Ecclesiastes says he's made everything beautiful in its time. He put eternity into man's heart. So that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. But eternity is in us. We are built for a story. We're built for something that's outside of ourselves. He made us like that. The Bible is grand, God's grand story. 22 movies, Marvel put, 66 books. They managed to tie these all together in a matter of, I don't know, they released them in, I should have looked this up, a decade? Something like that. Anyways, thousands of years. The Lord managed to put 66 books together with people all over the earth and he, and he threaded it all together to tell one massive story. And the coolest thing is I sometimes, have you ever imagined heaven? We'll get to that when we talk about the restoration of all things because we are going there, right? Because that's one of the chapters. It's the final one. But sometimes I think about, you know, wouldn't it be cool in, in heaven if you could like, I don't know, see some of the Bible stories? Like maybe 3D, like insert yourself. I don't know, maybe you get to play a character. I don't know how it works. But I just like to kind of think about stuff like that and imagine what it would be like. But wouldn't that be amazing to be able to be a part of some of the stories? Like David and his 30 men. Those 30 mighty men, like you read his, those are epic battles. Like they beat out anything Hollywood's ever produced. And I love those, you know, period kind of pieces with the battles in there. They're always the best for me. Anyways. What's amazing about this story is God's grand story. It's a live action. I mean, he, he wrote it in here, but it hasn't been finished yet. So he gave this script, and it's already started, and we're kind of like fitting in a little bit towards the end here. But the story is not done yet. We're only, I don't know how many books in. We're only how many movies in. The end is coming. Like the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, you have characters, origin stories, Easter eggs that tie them all together. We're going to talk about that. The covenants. The covenants, you might say, oh, the covenants. The covenants are the promises of God. He's given these promises that help you understand how everything fits together towards the end so you don't get it wrong. He's revealed himself in here. I love this too. It says, you know, he's hidden himself from the wise and learned and revealed himself to, to those that seek him like children. In Acts, it says, I'll just skip forward here. We'll jump back to that. The God who made the world and everything in it, behold, the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods. So first we get creation in there, having determined allotted periods, like you're not an accident, even the time on the timeline that you were born wasn't accidental. He's put you here for such a time as this. I love that. And your dwelling place, you know, us being here in Steinbeck, you wonder, like, why Steinbeck? That's why Steinbeck. It says right in the Bible, why Steinbeck? It doesn't say Steinbeck, but he determined where we dwell. He had that all figured out. That they should seek God, there it is. And perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. Little Easter egg there, yet he's actually not far from each one of us. Right? He says, seek me. Come on, go play hide and seek with him. But he says, but I'm actually not far from any one of you. I love that. He's just hidden enough that it requires humility and an honest heart that says, yes, I want to seek you. And then you'll be found. And I think that's incredible. This is it. 
you see now, right there, right? God's grand story. I know we added a Jesus on there because it says he's coming back on the clouds. Sometimes we think coming back on the clouds, we think metaphorically. No, 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 physical. We'll get onto that a little bit next week. But physical, he's coming back physically. He physically went up. He's physically coming back. And when he physically comes back, I mean, he's going to put Infinity War to shame. Like the way there is going to be the, the climax of all of creation, what creation is longing for, the return of the king. It's going to be the battle to end all battles, and he is going to reign on a throne, physically, on the earth. Heaven and earth will converge, and he will be here for eternity, and his kingdom will have no end. We're there, right? So to understand our part, we've got to go back and kind of understand the beginning. Think of it like a script, does that make sense? Like if it's a grand story, like can you imagine showing up and you're, you're going to be an extra or an actor, you're applying to be an actor in a, in a movie, and uh, they've accepted you, but then when you show up to the set the first day, you haven't read the script, and you don't know your lines. But I'm an actor in the play. Think you're going to be a successful actor? Not a chance. Well, what if you have just your lines? but you don't understand the script. Even there you're going to miss out because you're going to miss tone. You're going to miss what's happening. You're not going to know how it relates. <laughs> One second. Oh, Mark's going to... Sorry about that. I'm not going to move. See, I won't move. I'm just going to move and straighten myself. You won't know how it relates. This is so awkward. <laughs> I do awkward well. Okay, you know what I'll do? This. It'll work. <laughs> I'll just wait. You know what? I'm just going to wait. You guys good with that? We need some, like, music. The do-do-do-do-do-do-do. Test, test, testing, 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 testing. No? Test, 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 test. That's not a good sign. No, hey, you got me. There we go. Oh, look at that, it works. Hey, man. Thanks, guys. Oh, they do wonderful work. I'm very glad for that. No idea where I was, um, but that's okay. Well, this thing's burning in my heart anyhow. I'll just kind of pick up with... Um, oh... Oh, yeah. Story. There we are. <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I was talking about, can you imagine not knowing your script? So you need to understand the script. The script tells you what is the whole story about. You'd read the whole thing. Right? You, you don't just need to know where you're inserted in the story, but you read the whole thing to understand how your character even fits in the story. And then you need to learn your lines, which is your role and purpose in that story. 
That's actually a really great way of looking at how we fit into God's grand story because this is a grand epic that is all about him. It has every element. It's a story of love and betrayal and brokenness and good versus evil and facing insurmountable odds. It's a story of failure and success and unlikely heroes. It's a story about God. It's a story about the hero, the, the main hero of the story. It's all about him. He gets revealed kind of like the Easter eggs throughout the entire thing until you realize right there, Jesus, when he comes down. Like he's the hero of the entire story and you actually get to see how he's all the way from the beginning right through to the end. We get to be a part of God's grand story. Does that make sense? Each one of us, we get to be a part of it. And so there's an invitation. He's given us his word so that we're not here blind. He's given us his word so we can actually understand the script, understand the story, and get to know the author of the story. And then he's invited us to be a part of his grand story, to, be, to actually have a part to play. And that, to me, still blows my mind. I mean, you think about, I don't know, did you ever, I always hated in school, you know, when you have to pick teams? I hated the picking teams part. Is there anyone else in here that hated the picking teams part? Yeah, it's horrible because picking means winners and losers. Like, I'm like, just divide or draw straws or something. Anyways, because there's winners and losers, right? I mean, this is a, like, we don't have to audition for this. He's given each person in here, young and old, a role. You just have to say yes. It's pretty incredible. Anyways, we're going to look at besides the fact that it's the greatest story ever written, and it's like so live action, it's actually still being played out. It's not even done. Right? And that we get to, you know, be a part of this story. We also want to talk about some other reasons why the story matters. Because a common thing that I hear, again, I've, I, don't, I want to be careful on going against something, because I'm not against people. Uh, and by the way, I, I'm very humbled. Like, we talk about, well, some say this, or some get this wrong or that wrong. You know what? Like, I, we see but dimly, all of us. There's no one in here that's going to get everything right. Jesus is the only real hero of, any st of the story that we're a part of. Amen? He got it right. All of us are going to make mistakes. But anyways... As we go through, I, I'm very excited. We're going to look at, um, yeah, why this matters. Okay. First one is, and it's very, very simple. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here because really we're going to spend lots of time on here in every single message going on. Just simply to stay, it's important because it reveals the main character, God. And then the, the grand story reveals the main hero of the story, his son Jesus, who's also God. Okay, so that alone should be enough. We get to see that God, like, sometimes we have this, this loneliness that people have. We, we've talked about that, and that's why we have no one stands alone and each one reach one. I, I am praying that God really, you know, births that into our church and that it bears fruit by his spirit, right? But, but anyways, there's this loneliness, and yet we find God actually doesn't want us to be alone. Right from the beginning, he's walking with mankind. We see him judging and dealing with even wicked, wicked beyond wicked nations. And even when they did terrible things, he says, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. 
We see a God of love who is holy and righteous. He is a creator. He's also a destroyer. He's merciful, yet he's also a judge. And he reveals himself, his character. He gives us moral law. He answers all of the questions that are innately born into us from birth. So we get to, the story reveals the main character, which is God. But moving on from there, um, we're going to, and going on, this is the prologue today, but uh, from here we're going to go through four main chapters. It'll take more than four services, but four main chapters, and that, are, that is creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. And, and you will have seen them on that timeline. We're going to keep putting that timeline up, and like I've said already, we'll be zooming in and out on different aspects so you can see it. But I'll keep putting up the visual because I think it helps us get the story. It helps us put the pieces together. Otherwise, it's, it's so easy to just kind of be like, okay, then we're talking about Abraham. Abraham was a guy in the Old Testament, but it's kind of like everyone's all lumped together. And when you can start seeing it, it, it all begins to unfold and make sense. All right. So the second one that we're going to look at, why the grand story matters, and that is it reveals truth who's a person and guards us from deception. Now, deception is a very real thing, and sometimes we get this idea in the West. This is what I was alluding to before. You don't just believe in Jesus, and that's good enough. And I don't want to take away from just believe in Jesus. Believe in Jesus, yes. But then if you believe in Jesus, then you should be listening to what he says. Amen? Is that a logical step there? I believe in him, and I believe he is who he says he is, the Son of God. Thus, I should listen to what he says. Well, we go to, like, the Olivet Discourse, and I'll go there just for a second. And by the way, I put the whole thing on there. Not the entire, well, that is actually the whole thing. Um, and that right there, I would encourage you, you'll see these little captions, read this week. I haven't put the entire passage up there, but read the entire thing. Get the context. Read it for yourself. You're going to see wonderful answers. I mean, they came to him and said, tell us. What will be the sign like, of your coming and, what, and the end of the age, right? So how will we know when you're going to come back and how will we know when the end of the age is coming and then Jesus begins to warn them? But, but, uh, but here, we'll, we'll look at a few things here and highlight just a couple of them of what he actually warns them on. So tell us what these things will be. So first thing he says, so they're, saying, they're asking, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Three questions. First thing he says, see that no one leads you astray. Before he answers any of their questions, the very first thing Jesus says to his close friends is see that no one leads you astray. What is he saying there? See that you are not deceived. That was the very first thing that Jesus thought to say in answer to those questions. Don't be deceived, meaning... There are, there are people that will be deceived regarding those matters. When will these things be? What is the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? All right, going on from there. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. They will lead many astray. There you see it again. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. And if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, don't believe it. And there we have again. Talking about belief, what you believe in there. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, fourth time, if possible, even the elect. See, I've told you beforehand, so if they say to you, look, he's in the wilderness, don't go out. If they say, look, he's in the inner rooms, don't believe it. That's a fifth time he's kind of alluding to belief. It matters what you believe. Therefore, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So, have you ever considered the thought of false Jesuses 
That's why when we say things like, well, just believe in Jesus, that all, that's all that matters, and it doesn't actually matter if you, if you read your Bible. It doesn't actually matter if you live for him. All you need to do is believe. And it comes from, I think it comes from a, a heart that genuinely wants to make sure we're not trying to get a salvations-based works. And for that, I will say amen. We aren't saved by works. There's nothing you can do other than say yes to, in response to the, the, the revealing of Jesus in your heart by the Holy Spirit, other than saying yes to the gift, there's nothing you can do. It's received by faith and faith alone, amen? However, if you have received that gift by faith, scripture's very clear, you will bear fruit. One leads to the other. All right, so one of the things that, that just believed Jesus sets us up for failure, especially right after Jesus has just said, Many false Christs and false prophets will arise, or false Christs and false prophets will arise. They'll even do great signs and wonders so as to deceive the elect if possible. Interesting thought. Christopher Yuan, uh, when uh, we, we had him here last March, if you guys remember, it was so good, wasn't it? And uh, in his book, uh, Holy Sexuality, he talks about um, people will often talk to him and, and say, well, you have it so much harder because you struggle with same-sex attraction. So, I mean, that must be so, hard, so much more difficult than having a heterosexual struggle. And his response is so profound, but it's just truth. And he said, I don't know what Jesus you're following, but the Jesus I follow commands all people to deny themselves and pick up their cross and follow him. It's no harder for me to follow Jesus than it is for you to help follow Jesus. What a profound statement. And actually, when I read it the first time, I don't know when that was, a year and a half ago or whatever, but when I read it the first time, it actually challenged me on my own assumptions. So, if the Jesus you're following doesn't require you to deny yourself, maybe he's just there to give you what he wants or, or what you want. I mean, he's like a genie Jesus, right? I mean, you go to him when you want something. You rub the lamp, you pray a couple of times, and then he just gives you what you want. Maybe you're following affirming Jesus. He wants to just live my truth, and, and he never corrects me on anything because he always agrees with me. Jesus always approves of me. Why? Because he loves me. See, he will never contradict his word, ever. Ever. He's unchanging. It says in John, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God is God. He's not going to change. You know, um, when you look up Christian books, I was looking up, uh, it, it just bothers me, it's to no end, but anyhow, there's a book by Richard Rohr, I don't, know, I don't always name drop, but I will just put this one out here, because it's, it has one, like it was a New York Times bestseller on Jesus, and you're like, oh, isn't that wonderful, books on Jesus that are New York Times bestsellers? It's called The Universal Christ. The problem is, it's not actually about Jesus. It's about Jesus was actually one kind of Christ, but actually creation was another Christ. And you are a Christ, and I'm a Christ, and all things are Christ, because God reveals himself through created things. But then you become Christ. That's not biblical by any stretch. It's new age. It matters what Jesus we're following. Amen? It's a sobering message. It is, and it challenges me too. 
right? That we don't just kind of say flippantly, I just believe in Jesus, kind of put him in my pocket, live however I want. He just approves of everything I say anyways. I mean, Lord, I really want this. I know you say in your word it's no, but I really want it anyhow, and you just love me so you're okay with it. That is not the Jesus, the God of the Bible. All right, so moving on. Next warning here, 2 Thessalonians 2, 3 to 5. I would encourage you to read all of 2 Thessalonians 2, but especially here. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And what I love there, again, don't be deceived, you get a warning. This is throughout. Paul's warning the church. Jesus is warning the church. Don't be deceived. Now, he doesn't just say on there, don't be deceived, just believe in Jesus. Do believe in Jesus, absolutely yes, but don't be deceived and remember the things that you have heard. Remember what you've been taught. Remember what is true. They had scripture already. Remember that. And lastly, we'll go here to 1 Timothy. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, I said that funny, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from food that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. Those are two of our strategies, right? To always stay founded on the word of God and prayer. But that's important. Now, notice this. I mean, first off, some will depart from their faith. I'm not saying this. That's what Scripture says. Some will depart from their faith. They had faith. They will depart from their faith they will abandon it. God, they didn't lose it. God didn't cancel it. They depart from their faith. Why? Deceitful spirits. And notice how the deceitful spirits talked about here aren't saying like, you know, because we think deceitful spirits like are promoting child sacrifice and murder and, and terrible, terrible things, right? I mean, look what, look what the deceptions are. Forbidding marriage and requiring abstinence from certain foods. That was what they were struggling with. And the result of those types of small deceptions were causing people to depart from the faith. These are sobering warnings for us because, I mean, even for myself, as I go through life, I mean, don't you, we generally, even if you don't have a high, high opinion of yourself, we generally think, I know what I believe. Like, I know what's true. I have a pretty good handle on what the right thing is to do and I'm not easily deceived. I've said that to lots of people. Oh yeah, I don't, get, <laughs> I don't get lied to very easily. I can read people. And I've heard that from lots of people. We don't get deceived easily. I've stopped saying that. I'm just like, Lord, I see but dimly. Please, I, I'm desperate. I need you. Because the warnings in here are that even the elect can get deceived. And it was happening then, and we'd be foolish to think it's not happening now. We don't want to get deceived. So, there are multiple reasons people are open to deception. One reason, though, is a lack of understanding of the script, the story that we're in. They don't understand the part they play because they don't understand the story. So you hear things like, I mean, 
Unhitch, that was the one thing Pastor Ray had kind of mentioned. I've read that too. Unhitch from the Old Testament. You don't really need it, right? I mean, Jesus, once Jesus comes on the scene, everything changed. Really? Is that what the Bible teaches, or is that what you've heard? Did everything change, or were promises just being fulfilled and continued on? God is unchanging. It's important that we get truth, right? We need to know the story that we're part of. Now, as we go through it, I'm hoping and praying, and please, by the way, can you pray for me and our church as we're unfolding this? I mean, I, I fully recognize that I am limited in my understanding and I see but dimly. And I am praying desperately, Lord, help us like teach the grand story in such a way that we can start going front to back and start being able to see the story, start being able to see God in all the pages, see how it applies to our lives, that we would begin truly building on top of it, but that it would make sense from young to old. So if you could join me in praying for that, that'd be great. But anyways, the entire Bible reveals Jesus. Look at this. Making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purposes. Oh, just read all of Ephesians. Maybe that's another read this week. <laughs> I'll just fill your devotional times with scripture. I love it. I mean, that's the best part. Well, it's, I can't even say the best part. I love message prep. It's so good. You just study and you get into the word and you pray and you worship and you write and you study some more and it's just like a rinse and repeat cycle that is so inc incredibly rich. Like, I love to learn and there's like endless treasure in here. And it is absolutely amazing. You start looking at how much of the Old Testament is in the New Testament and you're like, how did we ever get the idea that we should not have the Old Testament? It is just littered throughout. It's wonderful. And then you start seeing this whole story unfold and God's purposes and you actually begin to grow and oh my goodness, things aren't by chance and by accident. So you begin to see the sovereignty of God playing out throughout history. It's incredible. Anyways, I'm getting ahead of myself. The entire Bible reveals Jesus according to the purpose of his will that he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. Oh, for the hero, Jesus, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on the earth. Well, we're going to spend a lot of time on that throughout the series. But I want to see how Jesus, because that's that thread, the promises of God and the hero of the story, he's threaded throughout the entire thing, front to back. And he's coming back. Like, you, you return of the king, Lord of the Rings? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is like a way bigger king than that. The king of all kings is coming back physically onto the earth. Like, get your head in there. We've got to get rid of Plato's Greek philosophical thinking spiritual la 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 no 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 physical king coming back on the clouds he will ride a horse there will be a triumphant entry he will wage war but he will restore all things he's going to reverse the curse he's going to eliminate death it's going to be gone forever it is like for, for, you know uh, how do they say it happily ever after it is the best happily ever after story ever. And we get to be a part of that too. Anyways, so the Bible, the story reveals truth and guards us from deception. But we'll go look at one more point. And this is on the worldview, and we're going to spend the rest of the time on this. And then next week we'll pick up just a little bit on here. We're not going to go so deep. One of the goals that I have with the grand story is I want the story to be the story, but then each of the areas of that story you can go deep into apologetics and understanding on each one. But I'm hoping the Holy Spirit kind of helps us kind of weave the story together so we just get the bare bones script. 
And then from there, we can go back into some of these topics because there is so much that we can touch on with worldviews. I mean, last week I gave the, a few examples of how worldviews are impacting our world right now in the area of LGBTQ and trans ideology, but also within the church. It's not just out there. It's here. It's all over the place, right? But we have to understand just a little bit of the worldview so we can move forward so that when we confront our own errors, we know what they are and where they're coming from, and then we'll come back to it later on. But anyways, we'll look at what is a worldview. So, so Joel Richardson talked about the worldview, and he basically said this, when he's talking about end times here. So that's, you know, you'll see redemption goes right to the restoration, but Jesus comes back, right? So he's talking about the, you know, seven years, specifically the three and a half years before he comes back, okay? So talking about end times, and we're going to get there. So we're going to get there because that's part of the story. You need to know the script. But we'll get there, but we're not there yet. But anyways, he's t- in talking about the end, he says often what people get wrong there is that they don't understand the beginning. You remember what I said about the script? You need to know the script to know how you fit into the story. Well, if you don't have the script and you're trying to jump into the end, you're just reading the end of the script and then you start making wrong assumptions and you miss pieces because you don't understand the whole story. The end is just one little snippet. Can you see that on the timeline? It's one little tiny snippet, and that is not a, a timeline scale. Don't think that's scaled, by the way. It's not scaled, uh, but it is what it is. Okay, so that's why. So he said, to get your eschatology right, you have to start with a biblical worldview. So if your worldview is off, then your theology is going to be off, and if your theology is off, your, your eschatology is off, and worse than, your gospel will be off, and we're called to proclaim the gospel, right? He said that my go- this gospel of the kingdom must first go out to all nations, and then the end will come. That's one of the things that he promised would happen before he would come back. We get to play a part in that. We get to play a part. That's part of our part. That's part of our job. Part of our role is proclaiming the gospel. But to get that right, we actually have to understand what the gospel is. Not just part of it, but the whole thing. So we'll talk about that later. Anyways, um, looking on to what a worldview is. So when we talk worldview, what is a worldview exactly? Well, a worldview is the way in which you make sense of the world and your lives. Ultimately, it is the thing that tells you what is real and what is true. So what is real and what is true? We all have a worldview. You have to have a worldview because we all have to understand how we fit within the world and what is real and what is true. So when we look at the basic questions of a worldview that form your worldview, what you'll find is everybody in here, everyone, has an answer. Well, maybe there's babies in here. Is there a baby in here? Yep, I heard it. (laughs) I heard you. I don't know where, but I heard you. Blessings on you, child. <laughs> okay, besides that baby over there, <laughs> everyone in here who can think in words has a worldview. And maybe even the baby does too. I just don't know enough about how that works. So I'll just give them a pass. But everyone else does. Like when we start talking about origin, meaning of life, what's wrong with the world, who you are, everyone in here has an answer. Now your answer might be, well, I don't know, it doesn't matter. That is an answer. That is an answer. It's a postmodern answer. It doesn't matter. There is no truth anyways. It is an answer, but everything, everybody in here has answers to that. And what you'd probably find in a room this big is most of us, even including myself, would find that we might get a lot of the answers right, but in many ways we have what's called syncretism, and that's a blend of worldviews. We're kind of mixing together the culture, mixing a little bit of what we get in media, mixing together hopefully a lot of this and leaning towards growing in more. But anyways, what your worldview does, it's the foundation shaped by religion, culture, philosophy, friends, media, and I took that off the internet so you know. If you go online, you'll see where I took it. I, I always cite those things on the notes. But anyways, um, worldviews at the bottom, it's your lens to tell you what is real and what is true. That helps you form your beliefs, which instruct your values, 
which is the thing that informs your behavior. Now, we know actions come from beliefs. That's why we talk about inner healing, right? Right? When you have a wrong belief with inner healing, that's at a very micro level, personal level. When I believe something wrong about my life, right, it causes me to behave in a way that's dysfunctional. So our beliefs impact our actions. That's why, you know, in a negative sense, you can have an addict, someone who's addicted to drugs or alcohol or pornography, who hates what they do, doesn't want to do it, but cannot stop. Because somewhere in there, there's a belief on this is the only way I can feel alive or medicate pain or whatever, feel like I have uh, relationships or whatever it might be. I don't know what the lie is. It can be a number of things. But it's that lie, that belief that's driving the behavior. So when you look at worldviews, you can actually look at this from two different angles. We can start with the worldview, what we think we believe or say we believe, and move up into our beliefs, our values, and our actions, behaviors. Or, in other cases, we can start with our actions and move down. That's the more humbling lesson. Right? Starting from the top, because we can all go from the bottom. I mean, who's the most important person? Jesus. Who created you? God. Am I doing pretty good? You impressed? What's wrong with the world? Sin! <laughs> I, I know this, right? How are we going to fix it? Jesus again! I'm like, I'm scoring high, right? Where it gets humbling is when I start looking at my priorities, how I treat my spouse, my kids, what I think about, what I spend money on. When I start from the top, and saying, if I put my priorities here, what does that mean about what I really value? And if I really value the world in this world, what does that mean about my real beliefs and my worldview? Does that make sense how you can start from both ends? Way more humbling to start from the top. And uh, yes, I do those exercises regularly because I like to be, expose myself. Anyways, no, that sounded wrong. <laughs> With faulty thinking and, wow, moving on, moving on, quick. Just move on. Worldview, yes. Okay, think of the worldview like this. And I'll kind of end here. There's a couple things. Oh, yeah, we'll pick, up, pick it up next week. It's all good. So if, if, if we are like a computer, I'm going to try to put it in different ways so we really get it. Because I, I know my youngest daughter had said last week, he talks about worldviews, and I get what you're saying because we have these conversations lots, but you didn't really define what a worldview is. So I don't know if it went over everyone's head. So I apologize. If we're a computer, right? If I was a computer, if we have a computer, in fact, I have one right here. Remember a few weeks ago when it malfunctioned on me? I'm still not over that. But anyways, uh, if you have a computer with no software in there, what can it all do? Nothing. And now, you might be able to find some uses. I mean, this one here could be a Frisbee. Right? We could play a game of Frisbee. I'll throw it at Brock. Brock, catch. <laughs> That'd be something else. Right? Especially because you guys so generously paid for this. You wouldn't appreciate it if I did that. <laughs> right. But, um, I mean, maybe a paperweight? It's shiny. I could use it maybe as a mirror. Like, maybe I could pull out some functionality out of a computer. But without software, we could all agree it's useless. It's not ever going to fulfill the purpose for which it was created. Make sense? We're all tracking? So your worldview is software. And if you look at a virus, a virus would be like sin. That's corrupted all of our software. And it's corrupted the computer itself. But anyways, looking at just the worldview, a worldview is the software you put in. Right? So everyone requires software. Every computer requires software in order to function. But the type of software you install matters. Right? So that's, that's how I want you to look at it. Um, I'll give you another way to look at it, uh, another example. And that would be, um, no, 
We won't go there. What if we use the hockey team? We all like hockey. I like hockey. Mind you, I prefer the NFL. But we'll use hockey because it works with the analogy. So if we had a hockey team here, and uh, so we were going to have this big tournament. Maybe it's even the Stanley Cup. But we had a, we had a team that was going to compete, and we just thought, they're going to do awesome. So our strategy to prepare them to play on the ice is to teach them the game of soccer. How well do you think they'd do? I mean, there are similarities between those games. I mean, there's like a field or a rink. There are nets, goalies, right? You're tracking, teams. The goal is to get an object into those nets. There are a lot of similarities, lots. But the thing is, a hockey player plays on ice. If you taught them to play soccer, what would happen if they'd never been on ice before when they tried to play a game on ice? It'd be a disaster. Like, it would be an absolute disaster. They would get some of the answers right. Sure they would. And they might be able to sort of move in a direction, but there'd be lots of falling, lots of bruises, lots of swelling. I mean, it'd be funny to watch, but uh, just being honest. And how much worse then if you taught them to play baseball? Now there's like no similarities. You see, that's what a worldview does. It's like it teaches you, th th this, is the, these, this is the rules for how you play this game. This is the rules for how you engage in this story. If you plug in the wrong software, if you are taught the wrong rules, maybe you'll be able to, if there's enough similarities, move generally in the right direction, or maybe you'll be moving entirely in the wrong direction. But like I said last week, good, good ideas have consequences, bad ideas have victims, quoting Colson there. Anyways, 6%, look at this, in the areas of purpose, calling, family, God, creation, history, faith, practices, sin, salvation, human character, lifestyle, Bible, truth, and morals, 6% of Americans, uh, according to Barna, last year hold to a biblical worldview. Now, I want to end on just one thing, and, and then we'll pick it up next week. How do we get a biblical worldview? Like, if a biblical worldview is so important, how do we get it? Like, just tell it to me, Right? Wouldn't that be great? Maybe it's a software. Like, is this something I can plug into? An app that I download? How do you get a biblical worldview? Well, I'll tell you. From the Bible. The same way that, like, how do you get a Greek philosophical worldview? From Plato. He's a philosopher that died a long, 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 long time ago, and his ideas are still present today, even in the church. How do you get a postmodern worldview? Plug into the culture. See, where you plug in, where you find your life, that is going to be the software that you download. So if you want to download a biblical worldview, if you want to get a biblical worldview and have that begin to instruct your beliefs and your values and your behaviors, then you've got to plug in to God's Word. And you can't rely on me plugging into it for you. Or your spouse, or your parents, or your friends, you have to plug in yourself, each one of us. We're going to skip a bunch of this, and I'll do it next week. Just leave it on this. How do you engage your heart with the grand story as you go through it? The first thing is, love God. You want to get it? Love God. Everything you do has to be love God. Do you know those three steps here? Pray and fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Yes, I stand by that. Pray. Scripture. Study the story. Read the script. Meditate on it. Memorize it. Get it in you. Know it. I mean, this script, this 
Bible will give you, you, you plug it in here, you'll get a biblical worldview. Our, each worldview answers a list of questions. We'll look at them next week. But this book gives you all of, the, all of the answers to the questions that each one of us have, whether you've consciously thought of them or not. It has it in there. Scripture and then obedience. But I'll just give you one warning on that because that's how you get it from here to here. You want to get it from here to here? Obey it. Apply it. Live it. Play your part. And you might say, what if I make mistakes? Oh, that's part of the story. He's made a way for that. Right? Go and read 1 John 2, 1 to 6 this next week. I'm writing this to you so that you do not sin, but if you do sin, so I write these things to you so you don't sin. Don't sin. That's not good. Play your part. But then he goes on right immediately after and saying, but when you do sin, Jesus Christ is the propitiation for your sins and also for the sins of the whole world. The hero of the story has made a way for you and for me. So let's make sure we keep the first thing first, and that is Jesus at the center. Amen? Bow your heads, let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we engage in your story, I just recognize I'm just a broken human being, and I see but dimly. All of us are. But Lord, we desire to meet the hero of the story. We desire to meet with you, Jesus. And Lord, we don't want to be like in this just for ourselves. I can't imagine what it would be like to you know, be married to someone that didn't care about anything in my life, didn't care about anything that I wanted or my desires, just cared about the things that I could do for them. And yet, Lord, we confess that many times we focus our lives like that on you. That's what our faith looks like. We don't show that we care about the whole story. We don't show that we care about you. We just care about what we can get out of it. So Lord, as we go throughout this series, I ask that you would deepen our faith, that you would challenge us on the areas where we are believing lies, Lord, that you would encourage us and strengthen us by your word, that you would unify us as a body, but unify us under you, Lord Jesus, that we would learn what are the absolute truths that we have to have, but what are the things in the periphery that we would let those things go? Lord, that we would learn our part to play in the story and that we would play it well. Until that day when you come back, that is what the Maranatha cry is all about. Lord, that, that we are longing for the return of the king as we look at this story, we realize the answer to all of the evil and the suffering and the brokenness in this world is not going to be found in politicians. It is not going to be found in the schools. It's not going to be found even in us. It cannot be. The story says the plan of redemption only has one name above it, and his name is Jesus. So we submit our hearts to you, our minds. May you be honored and glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.